I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, so last weekend we finished up our first run of Hot Flash 20 shows, which have been rumbling on since March. And yeah, I had so much fun, I have to say, doing these various dates. There were loads of them going from New York and Chicago in the States through to Copenhagen and Glasgow this weekend. Yeah, just lots and lots of fun had by it all. Lovely to be able to play back-to-back with people like Nightwave and Orla. And yeah, like I said, just a kind of highly enjoyable run of shows, really. So that's it for this particular run. I'm trying to pick out some highlights in my mind. The one in Barcelona at Nitsa was just awesome. Me and Kai from Mount Kimby doing his live thing. That was a brilliant night. Really enjoyed that. And actually the night before that was uh, Blitz in Munich with Shackleton and Orla and the Glaskin boys. That was, yeah, great as well. There's been quite a few of them really. Just, um, like I said, highly enjoyable stuff. So yeah, we might do some more later in the year. Not sure about that. There's going to be some more Hot Flush 20 stuff, generally speaking, going on later in the year. So I'll keep you informed as to what's going on there. And yeah, lots of stuff coming up on the label too. Lots of new music. We released the second part of the Yoiko release on Who Whom last week, which features a remix of mine on it too. So you can check that out in the show notes if you haven't checked it already. And like I said, yeah, more stuff to come, including some more vinyl stuff. So we had a couple of vinyl releases this year, including the triple vinyl Hot Flash 20 compilation, actually. Yeah, we've still got some copies of that on Bandcamp, so I will link that in the show notes as well. It's 15 tracks, three plates, gatefold sleeve, just an awesome product, basically. So if you haven't got one of those already, then cop one on our Bandcamp page. There's a few more, like I said, we're not going to be repressing that, but there are copies available. So yeah, get involved. There are no more copies, unfortunately, of the Hardcore Heaven release, my Hardcore Heaven release that we did for Record Store Day. We had a few copies of that going spare on Bandcamp too, but those are sold out. So if you missed that, then uh, sorry, what can I say? What can I say? We're not going to repress that one either. Certainly not on the splatter vinyl version anyway. 
And I don't think, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the demand's like over the next few months. But that's all she wrote as far as that particular version of that EP. So yeah, tough. If you missed out, tough. Can't say anything else other than that, really. Okay, so this week on the show, we have a producer who actually launched her current project on our label, on Hot Flush. We actually don't talk about that at all, though, in the conversation today. So it's Ter, aka Daniela Caldeas, formerly of Digitaria. So she's got an album just come out on Fantasy Sound. That's Errol Alcan's Fantasy Sound, which is a great label. Really some really cool stuff on there. And her record that's just come out is is really good. So yeah, I wanted to have her on to talk about her really quite interesting journey in music. Like I said, starting off with Degetaria and doing various stuff on DJ Hell's label and also on Hot Creations. So she's had a quite a varied run really through different parts of house music. Ending up on fantasy and doing this record, which has just come out, called Consciousness as a State of Matter, which of course I will link to in the show notes too if you want to check it out, which you definitely should and you are going to want to check it out after listening to this conversation, I have no doubt. Anyway, yeah, so we talk about her career and her views on music generally and her journey through the whole thing, really. She's a very interesting person. She's from Brazil originally, now lives in Berlin. And as I mentioned, has just, yeah, been through quite a distinctive path through music and ended up where she is today. So, yeah, this is a good one. You're going to enjoy it. Before we get started, if you're enjoying what we're doing here on the show, you can support us on Patreon patreon.com slash scuba official there are two tiers the solidarity tier costs four us dollars a month so basically nothing gets you bonus podcasts and the knowledge that you're supporting us directly but the bonus podcasts yeah go up every couple of weeks and yeah some more stuff you also get access to the private area of our discord server which you can get into generally speaking at hotflushercorners.com slash discord but there is a private area if you're supporting us on patreon and uh, it's a great community there great thing to be a part of and yeah the slightly more expensive ten dollars a month musicality tier gets you all the music that we release on hot flush so basically everything we put out ahead of time in high quality download formats plus other stuff too so music which never comes out occasionally we put up on musicality and yeah other music generally speaking but yeah lots of great downloads essentially you get for 10 bucks a month which is yeah really cheap too i think so like i said if you like what we're doing then patreon.com slash official if you don't want to do that if you can't do it all good leave us a review or a rating hit the five star button wherever you listen to this podcast that really does help this show follow the spotify playlist there's a link in the show notes to that playlist contains much of the music that we talk about on the show and all the episodes it's a good way of keeping track of what we're doing if you're listening on spotify and i've already mentioned in the discord server haven't i hotflushrecordings.com slash discord if you want to say anything to me or participate in any way with everyone else we have in the server who are a really nice bunch of people see you in there right without further delay here is tear Tear, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm going to call you Daniela, actually, when I think about it. How, how are you? Hi, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be on your podcast. Yeah, okay. Um, we haven't spoken for ages, actually. How have you, have you been doing, generally? Yeah, since, uh, since I'm, I mean, since uh, we, we spoke last time, many things changed in a way that I was living in Barcelona, I believe. 
and I moved to Berlin and playing a lot. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm actually interested to hear about Barcelona as well as Berlin. But um, let's start by talking about the album. Congrats on it. It's really great. It's called Consciousness as a State of Matter and it's out on Fantasy Sound. So... Yeah, tell me about it generally. How has it come together as a, you know, as a piece of work for you? Tell me what tell me about it generally. So, I mean, um it's it's an album that was made like a, in a long process. Uh it's it's almost like it's um resume from of my work with Fantasy and uh the work that I've been developing with them like on all those years, I would say like maybe 4 or 5 years since my first uh, single, Tale of Devotion. And um, because um, maybe five uh, of the, the tracks that are on the album were released before. And it, it was because like there was the pandemic on, on, on the middle of this process. It, it was supposed to be released before the pandemic, not before the pandemic, but uh, there was the pandemic and then um i was talking to Aaron. he said like so hold hold these and then we're just going to release after the pandemic so um it took a long time and then when it takes a long time uh, it changes a way to view your own work because like uh your work is like maybe a picture of what you're feeling in that moment so i was like just changing the album constantly but um and then like uh what didn't change was those tracks that i was just releasing one by one like the, there was like tale of devotion and after there's like a uh, energy sync and then uh during the pandemic i released uh, uh wings of time and lately it was after uh wings of time was um maybe the the strongest release it was like only for tonight and those ones uh, and the other ones was tracks that does, uh, that were like constantly changing and uh, at some point um, I would say like uh, we had to stop changing them and it came to uh, in the final of the process and we had like consciousness as a state of matter and yeah so it was like a constant process of changing and as as like a as like obviously like as like a matter like a liquid like a gas like air like constantly changing states. Yeah. Okay. What, what, where were you during the pandemic? Were you still in Barcelona then? I was in Berlin, and um, it was like a very tough period for me, uh, especially like I, I was pretty much by myself in a very little apartment in Friedrichshain, and. Um, at some point, like I, I was not um, really having contact with any human, especially in the beginning, like where people are very is isolated. Uh, yeah, I was in exactly the same position, actually. It was really, I mean, it was the first few weeks were kind of kind of nice almost, but then after a while it becomes very oppressive, right? Oh, really? Where were you? I was in London. So, yeah, I was in a, a, a small flat in North London for the best part of 2020. So, yeah, I completely empathize with what you're saying there yeah yeah for me it was like uh for me it was like a very scary in the beginning um it's not that i was like um oh that's uh interesting no i was like completely scared and to be honest i i didn't believe that the world was going to be back to normal like i mean i i didn't even believe that i maybe was going to be able to go back to have the the 
DJ job that I had, I had many speculations, many crazy ideas. I maybe I was going crazy. I don't know. It was just like going through a really weird um, thoughts about like his. Um, Actually, the world was never the same again, okay? But <laughs> it was not the end of the world as I thought it was going to be, maybe. Right. I mean, did you have any specific thoughts about what you might do if, like, you know, if, if things didn't come back in, this, in the way that you know, they kind of partially have? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I was just, like, waiting for the results, I mean, of all of these. I was uh, ready for the... <laughs> really going back to living the Barbary, like, hunting or whatever. Like, I was <laughs> 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 just, like, learning some different skills. Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> kind of a jungle surviving or whatever. But nothing this, like, thankfully happened. And then I started even, like, to check, like study like making some courses of AI which is another thing that I'm very curious about but then like um, slowly things were not I mean it was very bad because I don't glamorize the pandemic at all because especially me coming from Brazil many people died and many terrible things happened and many people lost their jobs and economically the, the, the economic impact was huge so um, I think it was a terrible thing, and but uh, it it was not. I mean, things are still normal. I mean, not not the, the normal, like the new normal. You know, the government didn't really take care of the people there. You know, right? It was Bolsonaro, right, and his crazy gang of. Uh friends who are not not great and thankfully have have gone now but um okay so you were so you're in berlin so did you have a studio at home during that period so were you able to work on music during that time yeah even though like i had i was living in this little flat in friedrich high i made this little flat (laughs) a room that was just like me and my and my get gets so at least i i had like a way to work um, in music, I always uh, find a way to do it. It's a need. Yeah. So, in the process of you know that that period, and you know, you were able to work on music, but I mean, as as you've described, the um, uh, you know, you were kind of in you already written a bunch of music which came onto the, which yeah ended up on the album, but there was this you know <laughs> highly sort of traumatic experience in the middle that we all went through so can you just talk talk me through the process of getting to that point uh where you were able to write stuff that which didn't you know which again sort of fleshed out the album if you saw what i mean mm-hmm. yeah for uh, a very clear example of this uh is um just before the pandemic I was writing um, my um, my single only for tonight, which is about uh, um, talks about the dating life, the dating scene, and some things around this. I mean, everybody like sees this track as a uh, this track as uh, happy, up- uplifting. Actually, it is. It has this vibe. But if you really, really look deep inside, it's not. It is about loneliness. But anyway, uh, when I was about to release uh, Only for Tonight, and it, it was going to the album. But when the pandemic came, I thought that it's 
uh, the, this song w- was so uh, not uh, on the line with the reality that was, you know, so out of the contest. And I was like, this this track doesn't make sense on the album or on anywhere. I don't want to even like uh, uh, deal with this track at this moment, like because uh, because of the. It's like a, such a happy and silly track, and it's it, it's I'm not in the mood for this, you know. So, and then that, this is example of how things are changing because like uh, in in the moment that the world is is being so impacted by something that is devastating that is taking lives, and it's taking people's job. I don't I don't want to be talking about uh, something that. Uh, you know that seems so uh, fickle. I don't know, but um, yeah. But then, but then after, <laughs> I think there was a right. moment for that. Okay, so okay, what you meant? So you're just talking about that track, which um, uh, deals directly with with dating. That's kind of an interesting one. And one of the things we've talked about on the show before that, before this, and you know, prior episodes has been. Uh, you know, club music which has like real messages, right, and which don't necessarily contain lyrics, but you know, kind of instrumental music saying something uh, tangible. So, how I and mean, how do you see that as a you know as a producer when you're trying to kind of get like proper meaning into your sort of dance floor tracks? Like, I mean, how do you go about that as a as a as a I mean, is there a kind of like set approach you 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 take to it, or is it much more of a kind of like just trying to express something through a vibe? Or tell me about that. I think it's my uh, in my case, it's my natural way of doing things. I don't know because I think I come from uh, punk, rock, and another backgrounds, and then I end up on dance music. And but I don't, I, I don't I don't think it's everyone that is listening or paying attention. And to be honest, I don't really care. But uh, and but I, I think it's my particular way of doing things. Maybe trying to express something on things that I do and uh, to put some meaning on it because um, because what I do comes from a place of um, of expressing myself. Uh, mu- music al- always were were a way of me expressing, you know, like the having this uh, background of, um, you know, like uh, maybe uh, uh, having, uh, you know, being isolated teen and this kind of, uh, uh, how can I say, cliche. And then you're starting to to write your music because you want to communicate, because you want to express yourself and this kind of things like... But uh, it always, always was this way for me, and uh, it comes very natural. Let me ask you: when you when you listen to other dance music, like your own, I mean, as you mentioned, you come from a slightly different background uh, to this stuff. But when you listen to other dance tracks, do you look for specific meaning in them? Like, is that a conscious thing that you look for as a as someone who's listening to this kind of stuff? Yeah, may, maybe the the message is gonna be on the um, on the. On the repetition, maybe on the the way that music is gonna hypnotize you or not. I don't. I don't go out very often, 
But when I do, usually, if, for example, if I go on a night out for, I don't know, usually I go on a breakfast time to, to Panorama Bauer Berkheim. It's maybe the, the, the message is going to be on the way of the repetition, you know, like that kind of the, the relief of tension or some kind of, you know, yeah, catharsis or whatever that music is going to bring you, like some kind of joy or happiness or just a way of uh, relaxation of the body. And I think uh, the world and the, the demands of the world, the demands of the capitalist society and uh, just the chance of you having to have that moment of, you know, that you can dance and then nobody really gives a shit about what you're doing, the way you're dancing, the way you're dressing and you can move the way you, the way you feel in this uh, kind of freedom you know, that you feel so, this can be like uh, a way of, you know, finding some meaning on the music. Um, if you feel that, I think the message is delivery, but maybe you just not feel that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess like that's, a, I guess sort of the medium is the message there, right, to an extent, because I mean, a, a, a DJ set, which, you know, necessarily obviously can, contains many different tracks and many different moods hopefully anyway um it can really be a profound experience i think and it can really really uh it can really really be greater than the sum of its parts actually let me let me ask you though um going back to the album uh so you mentioned only for tonight but like give me another well what are the other key tracks for you on this record um to let me see um maybe one of my one of my favorites is um, Energy Sync is a very special track for me because um, I wrote in a very special moment, was a moment of tr transition for me, uh, which is uh, the moment that I moved uh, from Barcelona to Berlin. And um, yeah, and I think the, the lyrics are very simple and... and and very efficient at the same time it's just like short phrases and and i i kind of like the way that i constructed the 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 synths uh, that uh, that repeats in there and um the tra uh, the version that got more um kind of exposed is the remix that i did myself also but I like the original version that end up um, going to a Andrew Weatherall show, and this uh, led to um, and so some guys from the Moschino uh, fashion brand listened through through Andrew Weatherall, and end up being on their fashion show in 2020. So I was uh, very happy about that. So may maybe uh, maybe from the album. It's it's not uh, the track that everyone says to me, oh, I, this is my favorite or anything like that, but maybe it's my personal favorite. Okay, any more? Mm. <laughs> I'm putting uh, you on the spot here, but I mean, this is your new album and like it is out. We've got to talk about it. So <laughs> give, me, give me more. Yeah, this. I mean, I'm very happy about this album, but it's it's like it's it's kind of weird to say like, 
oh, I love this song that I did because how oh, this song is amazing, you know, because <laughs> about my own creation. <laughs> but everyone, everyone's got their their pet favorites, right? Everyone's got... Yeah, know, my like... my pet favorites, definitely Energy Sync. I listen to it, I listen to it and I, I really have this... Uh, I feel proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great. That's nothing to be. That's nothing to be embarrassed about <laughs> at all. <laughs> I, I I just feel like it's in in this uh, long time that I I kind of made it, and I still like today I listen to it as like, I really love. I absolutely love this track. You know, it's very influenced by Fish Spooner. That I mean, that album from Fish Spooner. Um, the number one is maybe one of my favorite albums of my life i mean i can listen to it like um maybe even once a week that i would never get enough of that album and it's very inspired on, on fishing spooner on that sounds you know like uh the it, it's i think it's for for people that know fish spooner is very clear when you listen to energy sync so so when I listen to Energy Sync, it's like for me, it's uh, like listening to a collaboration of a uh, tear and fish spooner. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> to say that, but <laughs> no, that's uh... could be uh, could sound like arrogant because fish spooner, like it's just like I'm I'm such a great fan of them. Okay, well, that's I mean, it's always good to have clear influences. I think you know, I think particularly if um. If you're able to, you know, take influence without, you know, just trying to rip someone off, which obviously you haven't done here, because I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that at all, <laughs> listening to that tune. But I mean, I, I, but now you, but now you're saying it, I can, yeah, okay, I can, I can kind of see what you mean. Absolutely. So, okay, this, this is an interesting one then, because I mean, as you mentioned, that you came into dance music from a slightly different perspective, and you know, you've just mentioned Fisher Spinner as a key influence. But can you tell me a bit about your journey into this stuff then? So tell tell us about your punk rock phase yeah i was um in the high school i was um yeah when it was very common when i was like maybe 10 or 11 to like nirvana red hot chili peppers this kind of bands right and then like i i after these like the stoogies iggy pop this kind of things um and on the high school influenced by grunge and punk uh I so let me let me let me just stop you there because you you mentioned that you're from Brazil, but where exactly are you from in Brazil? Belo Horizonte. And uh, so, so this is what you're talking about. You were going to school there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on high school, I had like um, I had like maybe two or three bands during high school, always playing guitar and like singing and um, yelling on the mic this kind of things like very very cliche you know like this kind of things but that's that's how that's how you start though right you start by mimicking other people this is an important part of the process i think so i think it's okay to be cliched in that respect yeah 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 very much i mean mm -hmm. yeah and then after this when i was around uh, 19 I started to to have uh, some interest about uh, music product production. I, I started to to like artists like uh, big beat beat artists like Chemical Brothers, Fat Boys Lean, these kind of things, and like uh, uh, trance music. Uh, it was back in the nineties, and um, I was very curious. It was funny because I was going to uh, rave uh, parties 
Um, and I was very curious because I was like, it's interesting because since that the music never stops, it's just one music that is playing. What's going on here? Like, I had no idea. I had no idea that there was mixing. Like, it was, well, how come a, a music can take such a long time? You know, like, it seems like that there were good DJs back there. And... <laughs> And I was starting to uh, have some interest for electronic music, uh, psychedelic trends, and also more mainstream artists like The Project, The Prodigy, Chemical Brothers, and these kind of things. And there was like some friends that were producing on the video games, so I was just like sneaking around and checking and very curious about that. And I started to uh, work as a waitress on a cafe that there was like some DJs there. And also um, asking questions about uh, the CDJs, how does it work? So very curious about that. Very curious about the equipment. Very curious about mixing. Let me sorry. Let me let me just stop you and ask you that. When you when you were playing in bands like before this, had you ever gone into a studio and done demos and that kind of stuff? No, never. Okay, so you'd never been in a kind of studio environment. This was just a case of just getting interested because it was you know it was what was happening around this new stuff that you're interested in no it was just something that you uh, would do shows like on the high school like you know like and mm-hmm. my mother yep. would tape it I have tapes uh, of this these shows like today <laughs> okay but uh, I really? don't really have any professional recording or anything like that. No, I was just wondering because, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I did similar stuff, but there were a couple of times where we got to the stage where, you know, when we were going to a really basic studio, you know, you'd save up like, you know, a hundred quid or whatever and have an afternoon with an engineer recording stuff. And that was kind of my first glimpse into that world. And it was, like, I, you know, it was a very opaque glimpse you know i had no idea really what was going on but just being in that uh studio environment was eye-opening for me but like um from what you're saying it was much more of a case of just being around more electronic stuff and that just got you interested in that side of it too is that right yeah definitely yeah it was not that i i had the contact with this uh, studio environment before it was just like uh seeing actually djs playing uh, on the cafe that I was working and I was starting to feel that, like very curious about uh, the DJ thing And but before that as I told you like more about the production caught much more my attention the video game stuff I was like I, I always liked video games when I was uh, younger and there was like these uh, I, I don't remember it's like it was PS4 or whatever like there was like a production kind of that you can could do beats so and then like uh, when I was around 20, I met Daniel that we still uh, working until these days. And uh, he was a producer and uh, he was one of the people that were DJing on the cafe. And uh, but he was like m- not really he was like more like a DJ playing like, uh, for example, 80s, uh, 90s, this kind of more than a DJ DJ that was doing like scratchers and this kind of things, you know, like he was more like a a person that was a selector and that was more focused on production. And then he had a studio and he was the first person that brought me to the studio. And then I was introduced to, uh, to Reason, to Nuendo, and after this, I was completely obsessed. 
like uh, the first uh yeah the f- uh the first um uh dot that i uh, that i learned was reason actually so was it uh was that studio mostly focused on software or was there uh output stuff in there as well there there was some very interesting stuff in there i remember there was like an old politics uh and there was like this very in- incredible uh w30 uh, i don't know if you know this. this is a sampler like a classic w30 okay yeah yeah there was this uh this huge thing and there was like the politics and there was like some drum machines but but then of course like in brazil uh everything is like is really complicated to acquire these equipments like everything like it's much more expensive and uh, the access to these like it's much more difficult you have to have like lots of money to have them so it was not like a, a really uh you know with lots of things but there was like a really interesting stuff in there that we could play so i was like really impressed and after and then we decided to um to create digitaria that lasted for 15 years so okay tell me <laughs> at a general level like you as you said you you said you met you met and you got in the studio but how did it how did your personal journey fit into this like in terms of like learning how to push the buttons as it were tell me about that uh it's it's to be honest it was not really a, a bit of a jump because like and also like i didn't mention i always had a, like a um a piano on my grand on my grandparents house and all this this uh that kind of a kid that I, I i just would like jump out of the bed and go to the piano and not really go away so i i, I just i was like a self learn learn person on the piano and also like the the guitar had lessons but uh, as a musician i think i think music for me was a, a way of uh kind of escaping things and then all that studio and all that environment came when when Daniel gave me the access to it was just a, a place that I felt comfort comfortable and then I could do my thing there without any you know like it was closed the 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 there was like no it was is- acoustic isolated nobody was interrupting me and I was like, oh my God, I just found the place that I love. So it was very natural. And then at this age, at the age of 20, your brain, like and everything, you have a, a capacity to focus that is like incredible that I don't have anymore. So I was just doing track after track with the instruction, instructions of Daniel, like because he taught me how to operate uh, reason first. And then when I was a very fast learner, and just after this came Ableton, one of the first versions. I don't, be, I don't remember which one was the first one that I learned. And at this age, you learn everything really fast, and then you have like a capacity of focusing and doing things, and just staying like on the chair and doing your thing like for hours and hours and hours. As just like remember, like forgetting to eat, 
and doing music and doing music and making music, making music for Digitaria. And um, it was very natural. And then luckily and uh, in, a, in a very like a way that I just don't, don't understand until today, um, we were released on Gigolo Records. <laughs> I was so young and I would just like send them to DJ Hell. Like completely like out of the blue, he answered to us. And at this time, Gigolo was a big deal. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it was like, I, I was like shocked. <laughs> and then I was like, really? It's, it's, it, it is that easy? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and then, we, yeah, we made an album with them. Okay. Um, how did that change your like everyday life like what i mean at what point were you what point do you start playing shows actually as digitaria because it was a big it was a live show wasn't there with uh with more people yeah it was a live show it was a band like when did that start was that prior to getting signed to gigolo or what was the what was the process there yeah it was like since i started like at the age of 20 uh and we started doing lives and tours I was like, uh, when I was like 22, I was already tour touring internationally, like uh, as a band. Well, where were you playing mostly? Did you come to Europe or was it mostly in the... Yeah. Places? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how, how was that? Like, what was the, what were the, <laughs> what were the experiences that stick out in your mind from that period? It was crazy. It was like, uh, it was like a dream coming true. It was unbelievable. It was chaotic, uh, and of course, like you do all the silly things that uh, when you have this age, you have no awareness. I wish I could have this experience, like uh, <laughs> with the mind that I have today. I I think that a phrase is so true that uh, the youthness is wasted with young people. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, youth is wasted on the young. It absolutely is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it was what I was a chaos. I mean, completely. It was just like remember, like uh, waking up late and getting all stuff and going and running and just like completely hangover and oh <sighs> my god, just just. Was I, there a lot of a lot of partying? A on? lot of partying, a lot of partying. Right. And then, like, well, that's good. I mean, you've got to enjoy it, right? I enjoy it a you lot. You have to enjoy that stuff. I enjoy it a lot. And then, that's <laughs> the sign. So it wasn't completely wasted. Yeah, there's interesting story about the the fabric, uh, <laughs> the fabric show that. Uh, so hang on a sec. What, what year are we in, roughly? Two thousand and six. Okay. Right. And there was like a diplomatic incident between Brazil and UK because, like, some some. Um, so, uh, some guy was killed on the metro by mistake, a Brazilian guy. Yes, yeah, Jean-Charles de Menezes. Yeah, yeah, and there was like uh, some tension between the, uh, the two countries and it was exactly on this, this moment, I, I believe, or something was going on. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if it was like this, but yeah. the wow. fact is that... I just remember they like, hey, lady, you have to come back. And I was like, oh, my <sighs> God. Anyway, we, ha we had mug shots and a big black cross in our passport. I couldn't go to the UK really? for years. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they not even like they gave our passports to the pilot. 
<laughs> so humiliating. <laughs> yeah, and they but luckily they sent us back to Germany, not to Brazil, because we were uh, on a program of the government of. Um, it was a World Cup, and we were like represented like a cultural ambassadors of culture, like something. No, ambassadors of culture of Brazil. Like yeah, we for were Br for uh, Brazil. Wow. Yeah, because we were selected on on a on a government uh, program, so we were kind of sponsored. So that's why the UK didn't send us back to to Brazil. Send us back to Germany. But it was like very humiliated. We got a black so you actually got deported. We were deported. We had mug shots. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I guess the fabric show never happened. Fabric show never happened. The fabric show uh, just happened when last year. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. So what what year did the album come out on on Gigolo? The album came out in 2006. Okay, right. And then how did that how did that go? How was what was your experience like of uh, of promoting a record in that in that period? I mean, uh, it was uh, uh, we didn't know what we were doing. To be honest, I was so young and I was just had a bunch of music. As I told, you, I was just making me and Daniel, especially because we were the uh, the the main producers and the composers of the project. And uh, we were doing music nonstop. We had like, I don't know, we had like 30 tracks. And then we were sending to DJ Hell because uh, we had like a open contact because once he answered us and then he compiled the, the tracks and say like, oh, you had a al you have an album. And then the, the rest, we, do we just don't know. We didn't know what the, was like PR or whatever. We didn't know anything, anything. You can imagine. Yeah, but that's what you have a, a label for, right? And I, yeah, you know, but as you said, like, like Gigolo, Gigolo was a big deal in that in that era, right? So they must have had a pretty good idea. Yeah, but then like, for example, contracts and this kind of things like, uh, you know, publishing, <laughs> where are this music now? This kind of thing, don't ask me because like, we just like have no idea. So coming out of that, because I mean, you mentioned Fisher Spooner actually. So, and, and this is obviously, the, and obviously, Gigolo were a big part of this too. The whole kind of electro clash movement, for want of a better term, I don't know if I don't know how you feel about that term, but lots of people don't like it. Lots of people who like the music don't like the term. But so, is that where you felt you fitted in to the to this to dance scene more generally at that point? Yeah, I was a huge electro clash fan. All this scene, like uh, I remember. It's because there was like the scene from New York and the scene from Berlin in Germany um, and the, the London there was like neg 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 I don't remember really well but I was like trying to follow from Brazil uh, and I was just like really obsessed with all this movement um, you know, like uh, Fischer Spooner, Miss Keating, uh, The Hacker, uh, Davi Carreta, and uh, who else? Uh, who else? Like I can say I can mention like a lot of them. Adult. Um, I was a huge fan of these people. They had like a a huge influence of in my yeah on your music. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, how much were you able to participate directly? I mean, how much? How many? You know 
nights did you go to? Did, did you get over to New York, for example, in, in that period to check some of that stuff out? No, uh, the, what I got to participate was very little, but there was like um, those classic uh, off-sonar parties in Itza. And I remember being on the lineup uh, on this uh, very classic lineup with Tiga, Miss Keating, and um, who else was in was in the lineup? I remember definitely Miss Keating, DJ Hell, Davi Carreta. Um, it was a, a, a off sonar party in Itza, and and there was like I was playing on the on the B. Uh, uh, on the downstairs second room and um, all the all the week was someone like very iconic nowadays for example I remember getting in the airport I was getting like this flight from Berlin and uh, the people from Nizza was were picking up and it was like in the van Was I, I was in this van with uh, Ellen Alien and other artists uh, but uh, participate of the, the this thing with DJ Hell, uh, not so much because it was like I think I was late for the party, <laughs> and then of course I was uh, too young and too much of an outsider, you know. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, Tiga actually on one of the earlier episodes of this podcast, and um, yeah, we 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 talked about it, and he was quite. Um, he was pretty nostalgic about it, actually. I think he really enjoyed that period. It sounds like it was a lot of fun, generally speaking, for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. Probably it was, I mean. So at what point did you move to Europe? Um, 2013. Oh, okay. A little bit later. Yeah, no, a lot. So many things happen, I mean, because, you know, like... Um, my life and my career were like a roller coaster of ups and downs. I mean, and, and in, in the moment that I ups and downs, and not mean that the, the downs were like bad moments, because maybe it's a moment that you decide to do something else in your life. And in my and then I went to a university, for example. Oh, really? Okay. What did you study? Linguistics and languages, literature. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that is that is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I and so at at some point uh with Digitario was like we yes, we were playing. Yes, uh we were still doing things. We never stopped, but half of the band the 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 band dissolved. The two other guys went away and we were just me and Daniel. And and then like it was was really difficult to you know imagine like uh, what is gonna be like we're gonna do this for the rest of our lives there are like so many doubts in the, my head I was still young and then I decided to to go to to the uni and then there was like another chapter that um it was like uh, of course Daniel and I were still making music and then like as I was in the uni uh, still studying and doing my things working and uh, living my life uh, at uh, 2012 on the yeah the best moment of hot creations uh, we signed with them right and then <laughs> and then it was another ride after Gigolo and then uh, was when I decided to move to Europe. Let me ask you about 
uh, taking the decision to to go to uni in the middle of all this. So was it was that a like did, did you just think that it wasn't realistic to plan a longer term career around this kind of thing? I mean, that's certainly the the, the view that I think a lot of people have is it's it's kind of a jump to get from you know, the idea of doing something that's really fun and it's kind of almost like a fantasy getting from that to actually viewing it as something that you're going to do long term like was that was that part of that or like what was the sort of thought process that led you to going and doing that course being an artist is it's a difficult career i guess i mean um it's it's of course i mean uh it's sometimes it's difficult to see far i mean Sometimes I even struggle with this these days. I mean, it's uh, it's complicated. It's not easy. I mean, it's it's exhaust it's exhausting. You know, sometimes with the travelings and everything. And but, um, but also there is a other thing that I love: the academic life. You know, I love studying. I love the university environment. There is this other side of me that is also like the other that likes other things, not only the DJ world. That have uh, another other ambitions also. I mean, uh, before being a DJ, before being an artist, I also wanted to do other things with my life. I mean, so I was pursuing also this. Uh, but I think, for example, now uh, looking around, and uh, for example, my brother is an engineer, and um, I see him as exhausted, as uh, uh, living some insecurities, and uh, you know, some th- there are like lots of competition, and the same way as, as I do. So I think this is about not uh, being an artist or being an engineer or being, I don't know, a, a chef or a psychologist. It's about living in a system that is extremely competitive. It's, it's about living in capitalism, in the pressure of the capitalism on people. So that's what uh, the way I see. Mm. Yeah, I think there's not there's not really... Sure. Yeah. I, I like basically. I think there's just there isn't really such thing as an easy life. I, th- I think essentially, and I you know I hear what you're saying about capitalism, but I think this is just true. Like regardless of whatever the political situation is uh, or the economic system that you're working under, like it's you know largely down to your own personal um, capacity to focus your mind at any given point. I think um, you're, whether you're satisfied with what you're doing or not, or whether you're um, putting pressure on yourself in certain different ways. I mean, like I think being an artist is a, I think it's a, it, it's definitely sort of at the extreme end of that stuff. But like, like you say, it really can apply to almost anything or basically, yeah, any, any, any kind of pastime, any, any way of making a living. Have you ever felt at some point like exhausted? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I'd say that's my kind of default state, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> Certainly for the last few years, anyway. I don't know. I mean, I I, I absolutely hear you about um, having. Uh, I don't know what the right way of putting it is, but like having sort of like just fundamental doubts about the future, 
generally. I, I think this is really common for an, anyone who's doing anything sort of creative and who's sort of relying on their own capacity to be creative to to put food on the table. I think that is an in like inherently insecure state, and it certainly feels insecure. So, I mean, yeah, that absolutely resonates with me for sure. It's um, it's it's almost like it doesn't matter how sort of outwardly secure your position is either. It's just it's just something. I think which it comes with the mindset exactly you know? um, and I, actually I think it can be it can be an important source of motivation actually to make good work as well but it's not a you know it doesn't feel particularly healthy as a sort of motivation if you know what I mean yeah but definitely like one of the things that I refuse in my life it's to live uh, in fear you know so if it comes to that like I, I'm I'm out because I I don't think it's uh it's the way to go because it brings like a lot of unhappiness, so so at least like I mean, um, but then like as you're saying like uh the creative work uh it's it's very common but I I also when I look uh, for for example like around like other other people in other professionals not not only creative. Like I, I see that it's um, I as I told you, it's a lot about the system that we live in. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely hear you there. Totally. I mean, I do think it is um, a sort of function of the human condition as well, though. You know, and and like you say, it, you just see it everywhere in every walk of life. You know, it's sort of, you know <laughs> in everyone's faces as they're walking around. You know, it's just it's it's not easy, but um. Let's uh, let me let me ask you about hot creations though. Like, how is that? How is this, that? Well, participating in that part of the scene, how was that like different in a kind of practical sense to how to your kind of initial uh, gigolo experience? Like, we obviously you were coming into it with with a lot more experience and a bit more kind of a bit more about you as a as a couple of producers. But like, I mean, t- tell me about like what it was like going in and playing at those um, those kind of parties and having those experiences. Yeah, uh, we always think that then, like, oh, now I have more experience. I learned this and that. Yes, I, I, I did. But at the same time, as I was coming from, for example, years of, you know, being in the university um, all my life, worrying about some other things, like not really in touch with any like anything about a uh, industry or whatever and then like i was def uh from out of the blue like dropped uh, in the middle of that i don't know like a dc team whatever like all that life and i was like oh my god what am i doing here do i belong this place like and and then also i felt like uh, a little bit overwhelmed about uh everything and uh, how not knowing how things worked and you know having to figure out lots of stuff me and daniel by ourselves again i mean and um and then we were trying to learn how things worked and who were these these and these people and again for the second time so let me let me let me clarify sorry let me let me let me just interrupt you there and just ask for a bit of clarification so you guys never had management is, is that correct no and then suddenly out of the blue there was like this guy from from uh, our 
booking agents uh, in Brazil, like, uh, and he was like, "Hey, uh, I'm your manager. I'm your man. I'm I'm your manager." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, really? <laughs> like, okay, cool." But we didn't even know who he was. We didn't even know uh, uh, about anything. But then, like, he was. At the beginning, was a helping hand, and then, like after some months, we realized that we didn't really need him. And apart from that, was very expensive to have him. And then we were getting like a little bit uh, more uh, smart about the business, uh, if I I could say that, like and knowing how things work, this kind of things. So, and and you didn't know anyone in that hot creations kind of a scene either. No. No, no. Okay, so what was when was the first time you met them all, or what you met Jamie Jones and all and and the other guys? Yeah, I was just like, um, and then uh, he was like uh, saying, "Oh, can can you guys fly to uh, Europe because I'm doing like uh, he was starting." I, I made a, a track called Paradise. I don't know if it was a coincidence, and he was doing like a party right. called Paradise because. I don't know if it was a coincidence or the same thing at the same time. And he's like, oh, can you guys fly? Because I want to book you. It's uh, this place called DC-10 and Ibiza. <laughs> I didn't know what right. was DC-10, how important it was. Ibiza, amazing. Like, oh, let's go. Like, we took a plane and suddenly we were in the villa with uh, James Jones and all those people and everybody introducing themselves, everybody really nice. And we were just like, oh, cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> and we we're just trying to understand all of that you know like first time on dc10 like people like wearing like feathers and this kind of things we we're just like wow <laughs> you know and so <laughs> with the time we got used to that now i don't get even impressed right okay <laughs> Well, the, yeah, it was like for was just like coming from Brazil, from the university, like out of the blue and being dropped on the middle of the DC ten, you know, and um, and trying to understand everything what was going on okay. around us. And what happened next? Yeah, the 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 first uh, the first EP was a huge success. You know, we were touring a lot. We played on Brixton Academy. We play warehouse pro projects. We play like all over the place, and it was like a very uh, fast life. A lot of touring too. We got like uh, exhausted again. Okay. Yes. Now this is a fairly common theme that happens with with people who have become successful in dancing because touring is pretty intensive and um, it's a difficult lifestyle, I think, in many respects. And um, was that the... Re well, I mean, was there... Um, was there a natural end to it as a result of that touring? About what I mean, how did it play out in terms of, um, you know, dealing with those kind of stresses and... Um, you know the the pressure that gets put on you as a person as a result of that kind of lifestyle I mean at the time uh, we really didn't know so much you know uh, and I just I just uh, I just think that I learn and now at this point of my life at my career and after so many years I just think that I learned like now that I'm just like at this age you know 
almost in the age of retirement. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Come but, on. But, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, the basic thing, I mean, for example, I'm not a... Um, not gonna say like oh don't do this don't do that but the the obvious thing about drinking and drugs and this kind of things i think it's very important at least every person takes uh in a different uh, way every person has a different metabolism but i cannot take it i can't i can't you know i cannot really like go uh and take uh i don't know being hangover and traveling all around and uh, doing another show in hangover. I can't do that. I mean, being hungover in an airport is one of the worst things ever. Being hangover in the airport is the definition of hell for me. Yeah, that's a problem if you're going to be a touring DJ. That's for sure. Uh-huh. So it's something that I don't do anymore. Like uh, when I just... Maybe if I have to drink, I drink at home. I drink with my friends in a dinner or something, but not touring. Okay. <clears throat> so in touring this record, to come back to what we're supposed to be talking about in this conversation, um, is that something that you're uh, prepared for mentally <laughs> to be out playing a lot of shows again? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm taking things very easy right now i mean uh as i told you like now i know how things work i know how dc10 is i know how to drink or know how to drink at this point of my life i know at this point how the industry works at minimum so i think now i'm a mature person and artist i don't fall on like some traps that i used to on the past as I uh, kind of exposed on this podcast. <laughs> so I, I take things very easy at the moment. I mean, you know, also learning how to say no uh, in a way that for a gig that, you know, that I think it's going to be very hard on my body. So it's very important also. Um, and yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm very excited. I'm very also grateful for for my job and for the opportunity to be uh, playing. Yeah. Okay. And are you are you DJing or are you do you have a live set to go with this album? So yeah, I was. Um, I've been having this idea that uh, I want to go more live than DJ gradually before near future. You know, when you say like, uh, when you're saying about this, uh, seeing yourself in the future as an artist. Uh, uh, When I try to project myself as a, you know, more mature, older woman working with electronic music, I see myself more in a way, uh, more a performer, which is going back in the early days of Digitaria, and that then I was becoming a DJ in the middle of the way. But then when I see like in the future, I see myself more as a performer, as an electronic music artist, than a DJ. And then as this is the way I see myself in the near future or in the more like in the in the long way. 
So it's uh, it's a way that I I maybe want to try to go. I mean, I don't want to put a, a lot of pressure on myself because then I need time, and I need uh, time to to be in touch with the music to um, you know to do all these. Uh, but um, yeah, this is this is where I want to go. This is my my current ch- challenge that I have for myself. Yeah, I mean it is a challenge, and I think it's um there are so many different ways of doing it too. So once you commit to it, it's um I think it's a process that you have to go through to find the right way of doing it for you. You know, which um is kind of true to the music, but also you know true to the concept of playing live as opposed to just DJing. I and mean, I've had a, a couple of attempts at doing live before. And the kind of the hurdle that I had to get over actually was just wanting my stuff to sound exactly like it does on the record, right? And if you if that's your attitude, then why are you playing live, right? You need to get past that somehow. But it's some that's something that I've really struggled with in trying to put these kind of things together. I mean, how do you feel about that? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and and also like it can be a little bit special that sounds like a little bit different, you know, that is going to sound like the way that is on the record and the way that's on the live. So yeah, I mean that's what it should be, right? I think to for electric ah that's what it should be. Yeah, I mean I think for electronic yeah, music to be definitely. done well live, like it should be, it's got to be different, right? Because otherwise, what are you? Otherwise, you might as well just be DJing, right? But then, of course, you want to try to be as loyal as possible, but different. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a difficult trick to pull off. Honestly, it is because it's got to. There's got to be a reason for doing what you're doing, and it can't just be to complete just just replicate what's there already, right? Because otherwise, you might as well just stick on the records, you know. Because I mean, but what? But yeah, what are you adding? I guess, but and like, but like I said, it's like there are so many ways, different ways of doing it, and that's the that's the kind of central question I think that you've got to answer in your own mind. Like, how do how do I what do I want this to be? You know, do you ever think about doing live set? Yeah, I have. That's what I mean. Yeah, I've I've been through this process a couple of times, and it's like it's it's tricky. Sorry to interview you. It's because I think it would be amazing. No, 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 at all. No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it is hard though, you know. And and like I said, I always have that kind of mentality. It's just like, well, I made these tracks. I spent ages making them sound like they sound. Uh huh. <laughs> that's how I want them to sound. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, if that's the case, then why are you playing live? You know. So I think it would be really cool. <laughs> anyway, I've got a couple. Yeah, a couple more, couple more areas to talk about. A couple more broader questions so you mentioned ai earlier on and ai is something that we've been talking a little bit about on the show and it's something that i've thought about a lot recently obviously with the recent high profile developments in this space how do you see ai affecting um, i think dance music specifically how do you how do you see the impact uh, I don't know uh, in what point is uh, is there any softwares doing like music? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like uh, you say, you can say like, oh, can I, can you do like a uh, 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 melodic techno is um, sounding like Tale of Us or something yeah, like this? Yeah, that this totally exists. Yeah, that totally exists already. Really? Wow. So. Uh, I I don't feel exactly like uh, as I told you, like uh, as I was saying to you that I have this general feeling that all the 
the human activities like work activities are kind of a threatened by the you know the the, the system that we are in today and i think for example uh, i'm very impressed what the ai is doing with the writing like before the before this uh chat gpt i would probably for example uh this press releases for example that you're talking about uh, or a song or or maybe a dj b or something that now it's so easy to do it by yourself if you write the 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 right questions it takes the jobs of a lot of people including friends of mine dear friends of mine you know so the same is going to be for dance music but then i don't know i mean I don't know the impact that it's going to be on dance music to be honest it's going to be on everything. But what does that mean what does that mean for like society? I mean so I guess hang on yeah I I did have a sort of broad hypothesis right which is that like lots of these easily uh replicable things will be replaced like the kind of cookie cutter stuff which is doesn't really matter. Um, but then the the value the what what perceive what people perceive to be valuable may shift to uh something which is obviously made by a human i mean this is a kind of i i guess optimistic view here so like for example someone being having someone having a high technical high level of technical skill on a musical instrument for example may become more valuable to people in their perceived value i mean um versus now i mean do you think that's a potential outcome for this uh, to be honest i have no idea i mean because i think uh with the time it's it's just uh uh overcome the human i guess okay <laughs> well that's a negative view <laughs> that's a pessimistic view right there <laughs> Is it? I think so. Well, it's definitely then, not positive. Oh, I'm sorry. But then, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I just think that it's a, it's a, it's the way things are. For example, in the, um, um, what is it called? Like, um, back in the days, in the in the 18th century, I guess. Like, uh, it was in the 18th century, like the with those machines and this kind of things, like taking all the the jobs from the from the people in the in the agriculture or whatever like there was this movement in England England called the Ludismo I just know in Portuguese the name Luddites Luddites is the English name for it yeah, yeah. people destroying the machines so it's not the first time that this kind of things happens like this is this goes in cycle we have to find a way out of it and try to find so it's it's just a, a normal movement of the the society I guess so I just don't know. I I just think that um it's definitely going to have an impact on and in all the fields that are depending on on uh, and even like for for as I I'm saying again using the example of the engineering like in in at some point we're not going to need the engineers anymore as you're not going to need the DJs as you're not going to need the the writers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, the way the way I see that actually is that um people will always want 
stars, like people want like people to look up to, basically. So um, I think there's a there's a pretty good chance that um, you know there's there's like if you look at the way music works now, like a lot of a lot of the music that is made is made for a specific purpose, and it isn't really made to be listened to by quote unquote music fans. It's it's there for you know library use in whatever method. And and that kind of stuff is just going to be 100% made by algorithms, like without question. But you know, there there, there will still be appetites amongst people, amongst the audience, for you know, for music musicians, you know, iconic musicians, for want of a better term. Right? I don't think that's going to go away. I think that's something that people project their aspirations onto. Right. And even if the music is is partly made with computers or whatever, as it is now, you know, um, I think there, there will always be an appetite for that kind of human expression, you know. And I think that's sort of the same is kind of true for writers, although I think it's a slightly different dynamic there, like in terms of like you know, fiction writers and you know other other sorts of artistic writing. So. I mean, I think, I mean, like, you're absolutely right to say that uh, every, everything seems to be under threat right now. But I think, like, the the, the value that people um, ascribe to certain art forms isn't necessarily going to go away. And it's not necessarily going to go away from humans, I mean. Yeah, I mean, but then, like you're saying, that it's just going to be, like, a very selected... Uh like very selected amount of writers, a very selected amount of, I don't know, musicians that people are going to have this appetite as almost like uh, these very rare people that, is is that it? Yeah, well, I think like um, that's definitely a, that's definitely a potential scenario. I mean, I think like the where we, where we are now where basically anyone can make music and the, the, the way the t the way the tools are it's really quite easy to make music which is quite quite good and i think that in itself is probably unsustainable i don't think like it's realistic to say oh everyone who can make a good track on ableton deserves to make a living from that i just don't think that is realistic at all so i think like having a a sort of shallower pool maybe of as bad as that sounds but i think it's more realistic in terms of art that has value a big problem has emerged over the last 20 years of music tech development and just talking specifically about music here like a big problem is that it's just too easy to make music which is okay you mm -hmm. know i think that's a really big problem you know mm -hmm. and i think that that's probably gonna come to an end maybe with yeah. all this ai stuff which i don't think is necessarily a bad thing to be quite honest although it does sound pretty harsh i realize yeah 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 no no i i i understand and i i i agree with you okay um the last question i had for you is one that i asked in like the, the first like 30 episodes of the podcast i asked this to everyone i haven't really asked it much since so the people that got bored of me asking it and will hopefully have got over their, their boredom but it's about um making albums generally because the perception of the album is very different now than it was 20 years ago or or longer but but I think like you know the course of the last 20 years has really shifted people's perception of what albums mean and their importance to music fans generally so was it was it always obvious to you that this was an album 
project? I mean, to what extent was this driven by Errol and the label or was it you who wanted to make one? Or like, just tell me about how you see the album as a format generally as something you want to do as an artist. Yeah, I, I was a little bit hesitant when um, it was um, like, Errol suggested me, why don't you do an album? Uh, you already, I already had uh, at this point uh, Energy Sync and, and Tale of Devotion. And he was like, oh, you already have a, have a good start. And now we just maybe complete with other maybe eight tracks or something. And I thought that as, as we are saying, like a, the music is going everything really fast, you know, like, so I was like, am I going to go in a way that I'm going to dedicate my time on the album? And how about me not releasing on this time, you know, uh, because it takes a lot of time to dedicate to an album. And I was afraid of not releasing on other labels and not doing other works. So what I decided to do is like doing the album, but also doing other work, works, remix and this kind of things so um, I had the impression uh, I was a little bit skeptical about people not listening to albums but to be honest my perception changed uh, with the feedback that I'm having uh, with my uh, about the album and I think the connection that you have with uh, the people that follow you and like your work it's deeper you know, so to be honest, I en I entered this project of doing the album like uh, a little bit uh, hesitant and a little bit skeptical. And now after finishing and uh, and releasing the album, I want to do another one. Because I think uh, people connect deeper with the, uh, you as an artist. Uh and I think that there are this, uh, there are people there that listen to albums. <laughs> I thought that there wasn't. But I thought that w when you imagine like uh, people out there, you just imagine people is scrolling on TikTok like crazy, not paying attention to everything. Even though like uh, there are people that uh, want to stop and and pay attention, like even though they are maybe they are not a lot, maybe, but then the ones that stop. They are going to connect deeper with what you, uh, with you as an artist, and you know I remember listening to your albums, Paul, uh, like a lot, like in the gym, for example. I, I'm, I'm a person that I don't know why I believe that there, there is no, no such a people that uh, uh, listen to albums. If I'm, if I'm a person that listen to albums. So absolutely, I mean, I am too, totally. I mean, I love albums. You and, love albums, um, so I don't know what, why. Why I do not believe that they do, they do not exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a wide, it is a wide perception, but I think, um, I think they don't quite have the same like wide expectation that they used to. I guess that's the thing. I, I always used to just be baked into the the kind of music industry expectations of a career is that your career is based around albums, right? And that just doesn't exist in quite the same way anymore, I guess. But but uh, but you know Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, having a a longer body of work for people to listen to, I mean, what's wrong with that, right? And the people that do love your music, they're going to want that, surely. So. Mhm. Mm as you were just saying, you know, it gives the opportunity for people to dig in deeper. Yeah, and then uh, I mean, 
As I told you, like um, I I finished the al this album, and to be honest, I'm ready to start another one as soon as I have time to sit on this chair and like connect my equipment and start to write another one again. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Okay, well, this has been really fun. Thanks for your time, Danielle. I just got one more question, which is a really annoying question, I know, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which is, tell me some of your favorite albums. Uh, recent, recently, um, there was like a, this musician, Brazilian musician called Rita Lee. She died. She passed this week. So she she was from the band called The Mutantes, which was a very uh, popular band on the 60s, uh, psychedelic rock band from the 60s called The Mutantes. And maybe one of my favorite albums from all times is The Mutantes, Panis et Senses. Uh, it's a psychedelic rock album uh, from the 60s. So here it goes because she, this amazing musician passed uh, this week and I was very sad. And oh, what else? Um, I would say uh, definitely this, this is a, a very cliche. Uh, OK Computer from Radiohead. <laughs> But it has a, a, a lot to do with my, you know, I, I, maybe I listened so much to this album that I, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, people like it. Yeah, but it's so cliche, isn't it? Um, I could also say that um, my favorite album, it's it's so difficult to point like a favorite album. There's like so many albums that um, were part of my life. Um uh, maybe that one from Les Hitmes Digitales that never released another album again, I guess. Um, Dark Dancer. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I like that one too. That's a good one, for sure. Uh, what else? Give me one more. One more. Okay. One more. One more. Okay. I don't know if I say like, a, because I like so much Brazilian music, but uh, maybe it would be more in interesting to give like an international one. Uh, no, give us, give us another Brazilian one. Uh, Chico Science in Ação Zumbi, Da Lama ao Caos. Okay, you'll have to send me the links to this. <laughs> okay, I, I can send it to you. I'll stick them in the show this notes. One so of my favorite albums of like, I listen to this so much. Well, yeah, like I, it, it's 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 difficult to think like this, but I I I have like a list of so many great albums that uh, I've, obviously you have like a, a FX twin this kind of things like that I I used to listen to, but yeah, cool. Well, listen, this has been a lot of fun, like I said. So yeah, thank thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, that was. Tear, aka Daniela Cardeas. Now, that was an interesting conversation. She's had a very unusual journey, I think. Lots of curveballs have come up, I think, in her life that she's had to deal with. But yeah, she just makes great music, I think. And I would highly advise checking out the album if you haven't done already. It's a really good piece of work. Melodically, really, really strong, I think. So yeah, absolutely worth checking out. Okay, we're done. I prattled on about the Patreon up at the front so yeah if you want to do that that would be great patreon.com slash scuba official either of the tiers we'd be very very grateful to have your support there 
If not, then yeah, leave us a review or a rating, preferably both, preferably gushing, five stars, please. Wherever you listen to this podcast, they've all got methods for doing that. So yeah, that'd be great too. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. It contains lots of great music and all the episodes of the show as well. And join us on the Discord. There's a great community of people in that Discord server, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. We would love to see you there. Okay, I'm done for this week. I will see you back here same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.